just something else that's happening this week on Thursday at 4.30, 4.30 to 7.30. There is a uh, block party taking place on Spruce Street here in Manchester. And uh, it is put on by what's called the Committee for a Better Manchester. And uh, this committee is made up of people from churches, community organizations, the schools. It's primarily led by actually the director of family resources for the schools for the town of Manchester. I, I think that's his title. I'm not sure exactly, but uh, it's a long title. And um, it's the second one that they've done. And the whole intention of this block party is to communicate to people in Manchester just the different um, resources that are available to them for their help to support their families. And so obviously, and you know, the cool thing is they, they want churches to be involved. Um, never before in my life have I, in my ministry anyway, have I experienced this. Um, and I keep saying it, God's answering our prayers, friends, answering our prayers right in front of our eyes. Manchester Public Schools are asking, do you catch the significance of this, are asking for our help. Can you, can you grasp the meaning of that? Okay. The public schools are asking for our help. And this block party on Thursday is, um, it's just a block party. It's nothing... Uh, you know, there won't be an altar call, I can assure you of that. And, uh, but you know what? Our, our church is committed. We have uh, committed five people from New River to run uh, one of the welcome tables. And it's a really important spot. It's one of the, the welcome table is actually, and, and I, I kind of asked for it because I, I saw it as a strategic place. So, so I, I thought, why don't we put New River people right at one of the welcome tables to uh, greet, you know, everybody that comes to the block party and uh, give them a sticker, whether it's a hamburger or a hot dog, that kind of thing, and sign them up and let them know what's happening. So we need a couple of more volunteers, and we actually have uh, shirts. New River has shirts we printed up years ago for when we serve in the community so we can all be identified um, as folks from New River Church, they actually want that, believe it or not. I was actually asked the other day, do you guys have shirts? And, I mean, they, they want it to be known that our group is, from, that our group is there. And um, so if, you, uh, if you'd be interested in helping, we need three more people to commit to that on Thursday night. And Elaine Shemensky, Elaine is um, getting that team together, so... Please see Elaine, right? And then tonight is prayer again at Manchester Church of the Nazarene at 6 p.m. Again, this is absolutely critical. And this, I see these two things merging together. I've been praying for the last 20 years for revival in this region. And friends, it's coming. I mean, when you begin to see the church coming together, God's, you know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a net. God's mending the net. He's putting the Church of the Nazarene together with River of Life, together with New River Church, together with Church of the Living God, together with all these other churches, right? He's mending the net. 
bringing the net together so that then when the net gets cast and he's bringing in the public schools actually asking for the church's help for different things do you see the merging of this and do you recognize this is the hand of god this has not been this is not like uh, there's no like one person there's no one guy that's you know running this or has a god is putting these pieces strategically together so tonight is another prayer meeting. The church is gathering together. Tonight it's at Manchester Church of the Nazarene, 6 p.m. And uh, I would encourage you to come. It's a wonderful time of prayer. It's just, it's just great. It's part of the process. That's uh, how I see it. It's part of the net being mended, part of the kingdom coming to Manchester. It's just one piece of the whole puzzle, but it's a really big piece. So that's, uh, that's, that's that. Another, my other one is this. I'm just very thankful. God has blessed New River Church with some wonderful teachers, and I really wanted to highlight that. You need to see the hand of God there, too. You know, I love it when Pat Williams teaches. She brings such great creativity. She always kind of, I never know what she's going to, what she's cooking up. It's always something good, though, right? And, I, and Joe, when Joe speaks, Joe has a real knack for illustrations. I love his word pictures. They just really speak. And Dave Lemoyne is smooth. He has a real, he can turn a phrase really well. And I just, I'm amazed at some of the stuff he says. I'm, oh, that's cool. But, you know, right? And God has just really blessed us with some great teachers. And I wanted to just honor them. This morning, we're going to continue in our series. I'm going to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to, now, we're not reading that right away, but that's the, this, the passage that I'm going to be asking you to look up. So just giving you a heads up to be looking that up so that you're ready to roll when we get there. But we've been in this series called Allure, Attracting Others to Jesus. And I do believe that Jesus is the most attractive person who ever walked the planet. And Jesus has placed himself in the life of every one of his followers, you and me. And that his plan, Jesus has no other plan. His only plan is that he so transforms your life and your character that you smell like him and that you look like him in the world around you and that the people around you want him through you, right? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. He told his first disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, that was kind of a play on words because they were fishermen by trade. And so Jesus, you know, you get it. Okay, you're fishing for fish. Now you're going to fish for men. You know what? The same thing is true of you and me still to this day. Jesus is making you and me fishers of men. You might not be a fisherman by trade. You might be a computer techie or a salesman or a financial guru or a housewife or a teacher or whatever, but I assure you that you are a fisher of men. And, um, you know, when I'm fishing, <laughs> I can think of three reasons why I might have a difficult time fishing, why I might not be catching fish. One might be I might be fishing in the wrong spot. There just aren't any fish there. Another one might be that um, the fish aren't biting. They're just not hungry. Or perhaps the third reason would be I'm using the wrong bait. They, they want worms when I'm trying to give them a nice fly or something like that. And you know, 
if you're a fisher of men but not catching fish, perhaps one of three things is taking place in and around your life. Maybe you're fishing in the wrong place. You know that the church is not where you fish. This is, this is not the fishing hole. The, the fishing hole is where you work. The fishing hole is where you go to school. It's the grocery store. It's wherever you're. That's the fishing hole. And, and, in, and in fact, the reverse needs to happen. A lot of times people put on their best faces when they come to church, right? Oh, beautiful. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then we go out there and we live like hell. I propose to you that it ought to be the exact opposite, that you should bring your hell here so that we can pray and process and work through that together and get the hell out of you so that when you get out there, you can take heaven. You follow that? See, I think that's the goal. Friends, you walk through those doors, you walk out those doors, put your game face on. That's, that's, that's where you, in here is where you make it real. In here is where you go, yeah, man, I got this happening, this happening, this crud, this crud, this crud. Okay, let's take care of that crud. Because when you get out there, the game's on, right? So that's, anyway, first one. Second one, maybe some people like to comfort themselves. I've heard it said, well, the fish just aren't biting. You know, uh, people just don't want to hear about God anymore. Godless society. You know what? Can I just gently challenge that to tell you that you please don't say that anymore every time you say that or think that you're calling jesus christ a liar how so well jesus sees it completely different jesus is the one who said the harvest is plentiful the workers are few from jesus perspective there's plenty of fish the issue is there ain't enough fishermen Right? So if I'm claiming and crying that there just aren't any fish out there, nobody's interested, I'm calling Jesus a liar. So, plenty of fish. Third, you go, well, maybe the issue is bait. Oh, that could be a big issue. What kind of bait are you using? Jesus said, you're the fisher of men. That tells me you're the bait. You realize you are the bait. You're the bait. Jesus is the hook. His whole plan, his whole plan from the beginning is that the world around you sees him in you and wants him through you. Follow? They're supposed to see that. And that's why we've been in this series on the fruit of the Spirit called Allure because the fruit of the Spirit, is the, that's the, those are the character qualities of Jesus Christ. If you bear the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, we've looked at them, are, is the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Can you think of anything against those nine qualities? You know, hey, you're just way too loving. Tone it down. You're just way too kind. Chill out, buddy. You're way too gentle. Yeah, that doesn't happen, does it? Those are the qualities of Jesus They're the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, the result of His presence in your life. And when those things are being born out of your life, which are born out of an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, He bears those in my life. The world around me goes, man, I want some of that. I want that. Right? Now, we've gotten the fruit all out of order 
and it just kind of worked out that way. I don't know, the schedule got messed up. But we've uh, taken it sort of out of order. Last week, Dave talked about goodness. A few weeks ago, Joe did kindness. This morning, I'm going to do peace. We're going to back up. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace. The Holy Spirit's the most peaceful being in the universe. The result of his presence in your life is peace. Peace is not the absence of trouble around you. It's the absence of trouble inside you. Peace does not mean you're not in a storm. It means the storm is not in you. It's the picture of Jesus. Jesus is in the boat. You know, some of you know the story. Jesus is in a boat with his disciples going across the lake, and a storm suddenly whips up, and the boat gets tossed around, and they're just going crazy, and the disciples think for sure they're going to die. They're terrified. And where's Jesus? Sound asleep in the front of the boat, sleeping like a baby, right? And the disciples wake Jesus up. Aren't you afraid? Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die in this storm. And Jesus sort of, you know, one of those, uh, peace be still. And he calms the whole storm like that. I propose that the reason why Jesus was able to calm the storm was because he himself, the peace in him, affected the storm and brought peace to the storm. I mean, I also think, what were the disciples thinking? That God's going to drown? He walks on water. Right? So, so anyway, he's... My point is, did Jesus avoid the storm? No. Jesus got hit by a storm. Jesus got hit by more than one storm. He got hit by storms all the time, Jesus did. Right? The man was just inundated by storms. But the storm was not in him. Big difference. You ever known somebody that just stresses you out? They walk into the room and they just stress you out, you know? And you say, how you doing? You don't want to know. You don't want to know how they're doing because it's just... And what is that? It's like the stress inside of them makes everything else stressful around them. I'm convinced that sometimes parents, a little parenting tip, sometimes the reason why your kids are wigging out is because you're wigging out. Ouch. You know, our kids kids aren't always able to say, hey, Mom, chill. You're stressing me out. They don't say that, right? But instead, they act it. They act out. And what you're witnessing is you're witnessing your stress being played out on your kids. Some homes are like like toxic sludge. They're so filled with stress. Every member of the home is just maxed out to the level on stress. I'm convinced that Jesus has a different plan for his people. That might be the rest of the world, but that's not you. You, my friend, have the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so forth. And so that doesn't mean that there's not trouble. It just means the trouble's not in you. Follow? Having trouble and being troubled are two different things. 
And Jesus has solved the being troubled part for you. There is a solution for you with that. It's found in the fruit of the Spirit. I want to look at two quick Bible verses because I know our time is short. Two, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 is the Old Testament. And it says this, You have kept, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on you. Those whose minds, I get my versions mixed up. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you, is how the new NIV says it. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. Notice the role of your mind in keeping peace. Where does my mind need to be in order to maintain peace? It needs to be steadfast, trusting in God. You say, oh, you don't understand all the stuff that's on my mind. You don't get it. I have all this stuff going on. I got this, that, the other thing. There's a couple of things you need to know about your stress. Your stress is not unique to you. Everybody has stress. Everybody has stress. I might not know specifically what your thing is, but I can assure you everybody has it. I read the term a number of years ago, and I like it. We struggle with this thing called terminal uniqueness, where we think, I'm the only one that has all that. Nobody else does. Terminal uniqueness. That's a lie from the devil. There's no temptation that has seized you except that which is common to man. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, every one of us has it, right? So that's one. And the second thing is, I wonder how much of the stress that's in your life is caused by choices that you've made. <clears throat> we, we would love to think that, you know, that I'm not responsible. I'd love to think that, that somehow this is just a pre-existing condition and I'm a victim of life, right? And then I can get government help for it, right? I'd love to think that, but the truth is, an awful lot of the stress that I experience in my life is caused by me. <laughs> Choices I've made, decisions I've made, people I've, you know, messed up or offended, uh, things, conflicts I've not resolved, things I'm not forgiving. On and on and on and on. An awful lot of the stress in my life is caused by none other than myself. <laughs> oh, I wish it was easy to fix it. So, it's the second thing I know about stress. The other thing I know is this. Your mind can be fixed on one thing while I'm doing another. You know, take driving, for example. When you're driving, I'm told that you're focusing on about a hundred different things every split second. Your, you know, distance, speed, people around you, all kinds of input and stimuli taking place, right? The radio channel, kids in the back, texting, which you shouldn't do, but you know, you're, you, right? We've got all this a gazillion things happening while I'm trying to drive. So why is it then that people take a drive in order to clear their mind? How does that happen? When your mind is so busy with all kinds of things, how can you take a drive and clear your mind? Well, because your mind can actually focus on one thing while you're doing other things. And it's a completely, you can discipline your mind 
to be steadfast on the things of God. Even though you have this report to write and you have this task you have to do and you have you know, this, this people you need to report to and you have this class you have to teach and you have all the different things you have to do, of course we all have to do them, but your mind can stay steadfast. I, you know, I think it's like sometimes um, I like to think of my life as a small little boat and Jesus is the anchor and I want to keep a nice short chain between me and the anchor, right? I don't, I don't want to drift far from the anchor. And I know that there's a pool constantly on it to drag me away, pull, right? And stuff happens, but I, want, I just, I want to try every, I, every moment, Lord, I need you in this moment, Jesus. I'm going into this meeting, I need you in this meeting, Jesus. I'm facing this project. I need you in this project, Jesus, right? Don't, don't go try to stay as tightly tethered as you can to the anchor all throughout the day. One of the ways that I know that helps that, Scripture memory is a huge one. Just You say, I don't memorize Scripture. You don't have to memorize it perfectly, you know. Just exercise the discipline of Scripture memory to keep your mind on His Word all during the day. At times, I've even had little 3 by 5 cards. Keep it in my pocket. Whip it out. I have a 3 by 5 card on our fridge. It's been on the fridge for the last year. Do not, do not be angry. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. It's a card I've had on the fridge for a year. Lord, I want... And, you know, the fridge, of course, because I go there frequently. So it's... I see it often, right? It's, uh, it's, it's an important thing about Scripture. Keep it in front of you. And then we go to Philippians chapter 4. So I want to look at the... Philippians chapter 4 is sort of the New Testament counterpart to Isaiah 26.3. And I just really want to go through this quickly. Philippians chapter 4. I'll start with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, 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 think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Do not be anxious about anything, he says, but in everything, so the opposite of peace is not conflict. We tend to think that if I have peace, I don't have conflict. And if I have conflict, I don't have peace. But that's really not true. The opposite of peace is not conflict. The opposite of peace is fear and anxiety. <clears throat> if you think about it, fear and anxiety really lead to conflict, right? Fear and anxiety cause me to mistrust, which leads to conflict. Fear and anxiety cause me to be self-preserving, self-focused, which leads to 
conflict. So the root of conflict is fear. The opposite of peace is fear and anxiety. So Scripture tells us, look, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. How do I not be anxious about anything? Well, he says, look at prayer, petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. Prayer, what's the difference between prayer and petition? Prayer is my own personal communication with God. I'm talking to God about everything. One of the mistakes that people make is they say, you know what, I'm not going to bother God with the small stuff. I got the small stuff handled, and I'll wait until it gets really out of hand, and then I'll pray. Come on. We pray about everything. God, I could use a parking space at the grocery store right now. At Walmart. That, that, that parking lot's bananas at Walmart. God, just keep me from getting hit at Walmart. God, God, I'm praying for, you know, give me wisdom at work today. Lord, help me with this. Help me with that. Lord, the kids are driving me bonkers. God, I got cancer. God, I got right. I mean, you pray about everything. Begin to make that a practice, that you pray about everything. It doesn't matter. God is interested. The God of the universe rules the universe, and he knows how many hairs are on your head. I don't even know why he would care about the number of hair on my head, but he does. So if he cares about the hairs on your head, certainly he cares about the parking space, or he cares about the spelling test, or he cares about whatever else it is that you think he doesn't care about. He does. Prayer about everything, and then petition is different. Petition means I get other people involved in the prayer. You know, every once in a while, have you had these, uh, the young the young hipsters show up at your front door, ring the doorbell with a clipboard, and they want you to sign a petition to save the yellow spotted sapsucker that lives somewhere in a remote forest, you know, on another planet. But we're going to save that one, right, that one. You know what I'm talking about? And they show up at your door every summer. They show up, ring the doorbell, asking you to sign a petition for something. And the idea is the more names they get on the petition, the more weight it has in Washington or Hartford somewhere, right? That's a petition. Prayer and petition. Prayer, I'm talking to God all the time about everything myself. Petition, I enlist your support in praying for the things that are on my heart. Would you pray with me? And, and I want as many names as possible praying for that thing. And isn't it comforting? Haven't you had, you've had this, I know. Somebody's come to you months later and said, hey, how's that going? I've been praying for you about that. What does that do in your soul? Does that not, it's so good to know that other people are shouldering the burden of prayer with me about something, doesn't it? Do you see how that would be a great solution to anti-anxiety, right? To have a hundred people praying about the thing that's concerning your heart, right? Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. In other words, I don't come to God because he cheated me. I don't come to God as though he gypped me in some way. I come to God with a heart of gratitude. I always, always, always have, have tens of dozens of things that I can be thankful for. My God has been so good to me. So I don't come to you, God, because somehow you gypped me out of something. I come to you, God, because you tell me to come to you. You tell me that in everything, with prayer and petition, I bring these needs before you, and I thank you for all that you've done. This, 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 this. 
heart of gratitude. And you know what he says? Then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If I want the peace of God that transcends understanding, I need to give up my right to understand. One of the quickest things that steals your peace is your perpetual need to know everything. Your, your insistent need to know everything is robbing you of peace. A few years ago, some of you remember, our son was very sick and almost died. He was in the ICU for a while and had some kind of weird disease that literally there was a doctor in Australia working on his case. So they were consulting doctors around the world. They didn't know what he had. And it, he was in bad shape. And you remember, we prayed through that together as a church body. And God miraculously healed our son. But our prayer at that time was this, God, we don't need to know what it is. We just want you to heal him. And you know, to this day, we don't know what he had. We really don't. And I get asked that sometimes by people, do you know what that was? Did you ever find out what that was? Nope. And you know what I can tell you, Karis and I, you know, we, I don't know that we've ever asked, we've never wondered about it. We've just moved on, rejoicing in what God's done. I don't need to know what he had. I can tell you, your need to know everything robs your peace. Just trust the Lord, man. I want you to heal him, God. I want you to do this, God, and I don't need to understand how you do it. I just want you to do it, right? Yeah. Some of us get so locked up, you know, in trying to figure everything out. You do understand that's the original sin. The serpent told Eve, hey, if you eat this, you'll know. You'll know. It's our, like our perpetual need to just know, know, know everything that robs our peace. I'm not saying it's, I'm not advocating stupidity. You understand. You, you do hear the balance there, right? So I'm not saying, hey, just be ignorant like me and you'll have a better life. That's not what I'm suggesting, right? So just saying it's our need to, it's our constant need to no, 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 that it hurts us sometimes. It bites us. And he says, the peace of God. Yeah, that was the hillbilly that came out here. <laughs> I'm ignorant. <laughs> yep. It's, uh, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, and that'll guard your hearts and your minds. And then finally, go, well, what do I think about? He gave you a great list. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about those things. So I can be busy with all of these things and thinking about these things right? I can be occupied doing all this stuff and thinking about these things. And, and then I love this line, verse 9. Paul says, whatever you've learned from me, whatever you've heard from me, whatever you've seen me do, why don't you just put that into practice? And the peace of God. You'll have the peace of God. It tells me that there is a communal aspect to peace, right? I learn about peace from you. We do receive from one another, and I can watch how you manage your life and how you handle your stress, and that gives me clues as to how to do mine. We, we receive from one another, so I'm not in a vacuum. I know this, that the peace of God is something that our world desperately needs. And, you know, you can't have the peace of God until you're at peace with God. 
And so there has to be a healing of the soul. There has to be a salvation of the soul. But I know that many people who are at peace with God still persist on not having peace. <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you're walking along and you hit a cobweb and you're, they're trying to get it all right? And sometimes life hits you like a cobweb right out of nowhere and it steals your peace, right? But some of us make up cobwebs and some of us stay stuck in the cobweb and I'm saying you can get stuck in the cobweb. The cobweb does not have to get stuck in you. You can be in the storm, but the storm does not have to be in you. You can be experiencing trouble, but you don't have to be troubled because the ruler of the universe lives in your soul. You have, a, you have an access to peace that nobody else has. And other people might walk into the room and bring stress with it, you walk into the room and bring peace with it. And that's one of the most attractive qualities that you have. The people around you say, I'd like to have some of that. I want to drink what you've been drinking. And you say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you the change he's made in my life. I can tell you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? And I, we want to close in a song, and it's a new song, but I, but I think you'll catch on to it. I just love, maybe this dates me, but I love some of the old hymns. And then, personally, I love it when some of the new guys take some of the old hymns and then put new twists and freshen them up a little, you know? And that's what this song is. It's an old hymn that's been freshened up a little. But sometimes I literally sing, It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. The news might tell me one thing and the economy might be doing another thing and, you know, this is happening and that's happening around me, but it is well with my soul. And I thank you, Jesus. We can say that because of you. We're not making it up. It's not just happy thinking. It's not faking it till we make it. It's the truth. It's well with my soul because, Jesus, you live there. Huh. I just want to invite you to come, if you want to come to the altar and, you know, seek out the peace of God. Say, Lord, I want that peace. I want that um, or not, we'll sing first and then you can come to the altar and we can pray together. But would you stand with me and let's, let's just uh, let this become even our uh, declaration this morning that it is well, it is well with my soul.